to the Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. For more on events, news, and research, visit us at shorensteincenter.org. Peter is one of the nation's preeminent pollsters. Uh, he is a person who uses his polling skills to do analysis and commentary on uh, the political scene. And he is also, I am very glad to say, a part of the Shorenstein family. We consider him to be uh, a member because of the semester that he spent with us. Uh, it is my great pleasure, Peter, to have you here. Uh, I suspect that what I'm going to hear from you is going to be very depressing. It usually is, based on, <laughs> on, on the past, simply because Peter actually tells uh, the truth about what's going on out in the, uh, the polity of the United States, which is not necessarily a happy thing to hear, but we're really very glad to have you. And thank you for coming. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. I have to start off. Uh, yeah, I am depressing because I checked the uh, weather forecast. There's going to be 80 inches of snow <laughs> during the month of February and 70 in March. So, Alex, I don't know why you wanted me to check the snow report, but that was my responsibility. Uh, anyway, I am delighted to be back, and I have to start uh, I think we need to salute Alex, who is on his bell lap uh, here uh, at, uh, at the Shorenstein uh, Center. And uh, I can tell you for the 15 years uh, the difference you've made and what you've been able to accomplish and to be able to see how far uh, uh, we've been able to take things and the changes. So I want to salute you and congratulate you. And uh, with that, we should go directly into depressing news. No, uh, let, let me just say that uh, that it is uh, it is a fascinating time, obviously. And uh, what I thought I would do is just take you through a few quick slides from our most recent NBC Wall Street Journal poll. I've been uh, I've been doing the NBC Wall Street Journal poll now for. 25 years, uh, along with Bill McInturf, uh, the Republican pollster. And our most recent poll was taken just prior to the State of the Union uh, address. And I just thought it'd be a quick way to sort of see where we are and what's happening and then open it up. And I think the thing I would want to bring sort of in the forefront of all of this is the most important number, which is really at the top of things, and that is the Michigan Consumer Index. Uh, and that has been measured for, uh, I guess, close to, what, 45 years now at this stage. And we've been down in the 60s and even in the 50s, and for the first time, uh, in an age, uh, we're now up well over 85, which signals a tremendous recovery. And you can see this play itself out when we ask people to talk about the nation and what they're thinking about. A year ago, when we were doing it better than two to one, we're saying things had uh, negative words. I see things as going wrong, I'm depressed, I'm down all of those things. Uh, it's still on the negative side, but now we're sort of a four to three kind of 
uh, negative ratio, a major change in terms of that. And what is it all about? Well, it's all about more than anything else uh, with the economy and people. If you look a year ago, uh, we had uh, about uh, one in four saying they were satisfied with the economy and seven in 10 saying they're dissatisfied. And you can look at the straight across men, women, white men, white women, uh, those breakdowns. And look at the change over the course of the last uh, 12 months, if, if you can, and in terms of the major changes uh, by groups, by attitudes, uh, certainly you can, uh, you can see it in terms of uh, the differential with white women, for example, which were minus 60 and still very negative but much better. Same thing with the age groups. Uh, as you can see, uh, the, uh, the uh, help with young people who've gone from 30% favorable, now a majority uh, indeed are satisfied. And it's just a sense of where things are at. You can also see it by uh, race, particularly for African Americans. Uh, that have gone from 43% uh, up to 67%. Now, the next thing I just wanted to look at is really sort of where attitudes are as it relates to uh, various issues. And what we do in order to sort of understand where American public is, is essentially give them a series of, of issues and ask them to uh, tell us how important. Is this something that is an absolute priority for this year? Is this something that could be put off for a year or so? Or is it not a priority at all? And what I've done here is just break it down among Democrats, Independents, and Republicans in terms of where people are at on which issues, what percentage say it is uh, exceptionally important. And as you can see, it's ISIS jobs and the deficit doesn't make any difference whether you're Democrat, Independent, or Republican. That's at the top of the agenda. Then you can start to see how it splits off. And you can see how Democrats say increasing the minimum wage is very important. So you could see what the president's talking about and why that was up at the top and, uh, and reducing inequality, those two elements. And you can look at the independents down here also there totally missing from the Republican list because that isn't what they're concerned about. They're much more concerned about uh, the deficit, and you can see that's up on the list for independence. But this sort of sets the agenda of where people are at and what people are thinking about uh, and where, where things are going to head. And uh, to me, what's interesting, you see no health care on the Republican list. When you stop and think about 2014, it was a lot of health care, but when you come down here, it really isn't on the list. It does remain on the list in terms of, uh, of something that, uh, that uh, Democrats uh, mention and independents mention. But it's more about the patterns, and you can see the importance of immigration, which we picked up and is exceptionally important uh, uh, in the social dialogue, and uh, the importance of the social issues. This is sort of, I mean, I've got uh, some things that we'll get into, which are really uh, Romney and Bush, and we'll talk about that, um, and, uh, and Obama and, uh, and Hillary Clinton. Uh, but 
I want to talk about one other thing, and then I'll just open it up if it's okay, Alex. Sure. And the one other thing I want to talk about, when uh, Jackie has uh, been so kind to come to several of my focus groups across the country over many years, and uh, she's trekked to various uh, places. I can remember we went down to Charlottesville among uh, the fine spots we went to. Uh, but what Jackie Calvis, one of our fellows who's a very celebrated correspondent covering politics, Congress, presidency, and so forth. Uh, and, uh, and in this, uh, what I try and do is I go out and just try and talk to, talk to people, get a sense of where they're coming from. And I did my first uh, one, and I do these for the Edinburgh Public Policy Center. And, um, and I did my first one in Aurora, Colorado, which I thought because of everything that's happened in Colorado in 2014, uh, in terms of the governor's race, the Senate race, and there's a purple state, and there's a lot of Hispanic. I wanted to get some sense of where people were coming from. And, uh, and in this, one of the things that emerged out of this is just how much uh, Americans hate the government and hate Congress particularly. And uh, so for all the things that are happening and the changeover and everything that's there, there is this tremendous both distrust, unhappiness, the sense of, of the power in Washington and where's, what's going on. And it, it bothers people, it frustrates them, uh, it just uh, makes them feel very, very uncertain. And when you start going further into this, I tell you the story of one respondent. Her name's Jenny. She's 43 years old. She is in accounting, sort of procurement uh, uh, contracts, etc. And she's, she, when we got into the discussion, you knew she was a Republican right off the bat. Ten people said, I think it was good our passing the marijuana law, legalizing marijuana. She raised her hand and said, uh-uh, sorry, bad idea. And she didn't come out negatively because of the social uh, element, but instead the economic element. And what she felt is that this was uh, going to be costly to monitor it, all of that. She talks about uh, about issues in general. She comes out as a clear Republican all the way through. She voted for McCain. She voted for Romney. She voted for uh, the Republican Cory Gardner, for the Senate, et cetera, et cetera. So we go through this discussion, and she said, you know, I'm not sure where I am in 2016. I just don't know. So I've got her pegged. I know exactly who this woman is and what she's going to be like. And then I said to her, big long list on the thing, I said, you can spend an hour with any one candidate. Who would you like to spend an hour with? And her choice was Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> and you say to yourself, whoa, what is going on here? And what happens is, and she said, put it this way, I think if she ran, she could be the next president. She's personable and knowledgeable, and I think she's got a good handle on what's going on in the country. Whoa. You know, it's, it's, sort, of, um, it's sort of like, 
this is just, you know, it's, it's like going to somebody in downtown Boston and finding out that they were really, uh, that they were really rooting for the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> you know, you say, no, it just doesn't fit. And what becomes so interesting and is that when we got into the discussion, she was furious with Boehner because Boehner said, anybody who wants a job has a job. And she said, not my husband. He's been unemployed for 18 months and he wants a job. So I'm mad at Boehner because he doesn't understand this. Then we get into the discussion of on immigration, she's clearly a Republican, but we get into the discussion about education. And she says, you know something? I was told that you need education. So you know what? I went back and got more education. I've now got $100,000 in student loans. It cost me $1,300 a month to pay that off. Somebody said, boy, that's like a second mortgage. She said, no, my rent is $750. And so this is a person who, by all rights, you'd say, doesn't have a chance of voting for a Democrat. She probably never would vote for Elizabeth Warren. But what she does represent is the anger and the, and the middle class, what they're going through, and the sense of, uh, the sense of uh, the, that everything's stacked in Washington's favor and is stacked against them. So that when you stop and you think, and we'll talk about the president, his situation is slightly different. But where people come out of all of this is enough, um, uh, they want help, they want somebody to listen, and, uh, and Jenny is just a great example of what the Republicans are going to be facing in 2016. It's not as simple as left and right. It has an awful lot to do with um, being able to get along and put things together. So that's my preamble. Uh, I want to start the questioning, but then we'll open it up to students. When you do your analysis um, of opinions now, how relevant to what's going to happen in terms of the nominees do you think it is? None. Uh, I mean, so asking you about that is is a is a fool's mission. Yeah, well, it's fine to ask, but to look at polls at the beginning of twenty fifteen and to think that oh, we have a real knowledge about how people are going to vote in twenty sixteen. People go through these huge loops and these huge changes over time. Somebody gets hot, and everybody goes for that person for a moment, and it's really. Uh, the shiny object that they're going for. Uh, we all remember the hour and a half that Herman Cain was going to be our next president. <laughs> I mean, there's all of these things. So uh, the one person who came out of the session as a Republican in good shape, I felt, was Rand Paul. There was something about him that people, uh, that these people uh, liked and thought was interesting. 
Uh, they didn't have much use for Romney. They didn't have much use for Christie, uh, nor Jeb Bush. Uh, and Jeb Bush faces difficulties on two fronts. One, he's his brother's brother. And, uh, and number two, uh, people don't know that they really relate to him. So you get those kinds of uh, you get a sense. But in terms of looking at numbers, boy, they just don't make any sense. I mean, I'm certainly looking at a, who's ahead in the Republican primary or all of that. That all switches around on a minute's notice. And I think that uh, the key is to be able to look and say, who has a theme? Who has something that they're going to say to the country? Uh, I'll tell you one quick story. Uh, Al Gore came up to me, I was at a party uh, back in 1998, and he wanted to go over every possible candidate who could run in 2000 against him. So he was talking about Gephardt, and he was talking about Bill Bradley, and I said to him, don't worry about any of those people, think about what you want to say to the American public in wh where are things going to be in October of 2000. And, you know, he ended up with a lockbox. That was his, you know, closing message or opening message or whatever it was. And so I think, you know, as I look, in certain respects, Jeb Bush at least has a vision and a sense of where this nation goes. Uh, I think that makes him uh, formidable. I think you say the same thing for... Uh, I think the same thing for Rand Paul. I'm not sure about, you know, somebody who will emerge from the governors. But the polls, yeah, no value. Okay, well, let me ask you, if you were advising ex-candidate, you know, let's not identify the candidate. Okay. Let's just say the Democratic nominee has been chosen. Okay. He, he or she is running for president. Yep. And the same with the Republican. If you were saying, here is what I think, and I mean, I know you're speaking of right now, here is what I think you ought to run on to the, for the Democrat and the Republican, what would you say? Well, I, I think it's all about uh, two things, obviously, and it always is in a certain respect. One is safety, and the other is economic security. Uh, I mean, clearly ISIS is at the top of the list. Uh, we haven't been talking about uh, foreign policy and uh, war and peace very much, but it is so central and it's exactly where people are coming from. But the other thing uh, is that, I mean, you look, it takes two people to see what they did to Boston and to uh, America, and you look at the same thing in terms of Paris, it's no longer a war. It is, uh, it is uh, radical terrorism. And uh, so obviously there's a question of who's going to make us feel secure and deal with that. But more importantly than that, I think, is the <laughs> sense of how we get our mojo back, how do we get a sense of of economic security, uh, a sense of confidence, all of that. I think that's that's as much as anything at the center of 2016. And what about issues like immigration, like, you know, gay marriage, like 
uh, various and sundry issues that are especially important to the conservative wing of the Republican Party? Well, it, it, there are two things we're talking about here. One is what's it going to take to win the nomination and uh, going through that. And there's obviously the same path that all of them have to travel, and that path always takes you through South Carolina and even Iowa in its own way. Uh, so there is definitely a social conservatism, and that's going to be important. And, you know, this week it's measles. Next week it'll be something else where the government should or should not have a role. Uh, but uh, but uh, to be perfectly honest, I put uh, immigration as a special issue remains as a hot-button issue. I honestly don't think. I, I think, if anything, uh, uh, same-sex marriage, gay rights, that's been litigated, that's through. Republicans are going to figure out a way that they don't have to face it uh, head-on. They just realize that they're on the short side of history <coughs> in that one. So if you are looking at, at the process, I was reading something recently and I thought of you when I was reading it and wanted to ask you whether you thought it was true. It was making the argument that even though it is the southern branch of the Republican Party that seems to have captured it ideologically, it is the Republican Party in blue states and purple states that decides actually who gets the nomination and what they say. And it was a very interesting kind yep. of way of looking so, at the process. And in light of that, it is interesting that there is now an effort to create a huge southern primary, which I assume would be intended by the Republicans' party to, to basically trump that by ideologically nominating somebody who would be more conservative rather than less. Well, I mean, they're going to go through the same fights that they always go through, and immigration is a huge example of it. They just don't have... Uh, the Republicans don't have an answer on immigration until they change. Uh, they're going to get uh, they're going to get killed at the polls, and uh, so they're going to go through whatever they're they're doing. And you can see uh, Rick Perry most recently sort of doing a flip flop in terms of all of this. And they're going to they're going to just have to figure out how they're going to deal with that issue. In the end of the day, obviously. It is always the same purple states that decide the election, and uh, the primary calendar never helps you uh, in that respect. And uh, one of the problems is the states that really matter for the Republicans are rarely in the front part of the primary process. So uh, it always tilts them to the south one way or another. And in many cases, those are states that are not going to vote for the Republican nominee. They're blue states rather than red states. I mean, well, New York, California, these all have Republican primary electoral votes. And yeah. I mean, that, you know, votes that, that help or don't help somebody. Right. And it was very interesting to sort of think about the difference in the Republican Party in a New York versus South Carolina. Well, we actually, in every one of our polls, break out uh, the GOP uh, between Tea Party GOP members and uh, non uh, uh, non team members, and they they are very far apart on most on most every issue, twenty to thirty points. Is Rand Paul Tea Party? Uh, yes and no. I mean, not really. He's going he's going to have his own flavor, and I mm -hmm. think he, uh, he's going to be a little bit of everybody. Uh, I mean, I think that 
if nothing else, stylistically and uh, in terms of intellectual thinking, uh, I don't think he's confined to one one strand. Yeah. That if, you were, if you were right. handicapping today, yep. who versus who? No. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the camera's on here, there's not a way in the world I'm going to Well, I mean, the thing is, Hillary Clinton seems to have a, 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 a clear lock on the Democratic nomination. I'll put it this way. It's, it's like anything. At the beginning of the season, if I had to guess one football team that would get to the Super Bowl against another team, I would have said Seattle and New England. That You're a genius. Bet, that's right. The best betting odds. The betting odds would have to be uh, Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush if you just had to pick at this stage of the game. And if would I bet? No. If if it is Hillary Clinton versus Jeb Bush, uh, does either of them have a, an advantage in 2016? Well, I'll give you uh, a, a counter cyclical thought. And that is, if I were handicapping the race with nothing else at this moment, I'd handicap the advantage to the Republicans. Uh, and the reason is, you go back from 1958 forward, we never knew who the nominee was, but sixth year always gave us a clue as to where we were leaning uh, coming out of a two-term president. Uh, and 58, Democrats won big, and John Kennedy became the next president. We would never have guessed that in 58 that he would have been the nominee. Uh, obviously, 66, the Democrats got killed uh, in the, uh, in the uh, off year, and we ended up with Richard Nixon, who probably would not have been our guest in 66. Uh, clearly, uh, you go to 74, told us something about 76. We ended up with Jimmy Carter, who we would never would have guessed. 86 uh, was sort of a, a muddled kind of year, but we ended up with Bush winning off of that. And 98, uh, obviously, uh, was an, also a muddled year in its own way, and we ended up with a very close election in which uh, Bush won, and 06 told us that we were going to change, and we ended up with Obama. I just think the off year told, tells us something that the Republicans can't be ignored for 2016. You can talk about all of the states and the change in turnout and all of those things. I just put the odds a little better on the Republican side at this stage. Uh, I want to open it up first to students. Uh, if you would just identify yourselves, and uh, uh, if you have a question, just indicate by raising your hand. Natalie. Hi, my name is Natalie Brand. I'm a mid-career MPA student here at the Kennedy School. And my question, you touched on this in your focus group story that you shared, but what else is distinctly different or striking to you when you're talking to people or polling now compared to years past? Oh, um, well, I mean, what... What I feel is much more striking uh, at this at this stage is is really two elements. Uh, two elements are involved. One is anger appears much closer to the surface than I think than in the past. I mean, 
Um, discouragement could be a term in the past, but I think anger uh, is a much greater flashpoint. Uh, and the second thing is, um, having done this forever, I've watched the ups and the down cycles. I just don't think that people recognize how hard it is and how much of a struggle it is. I, I'm just interested in here. How many either have a, uh, a parent or a child who you feel, you know, is facing a real honest-to-goodness struggle in terms of economics, in terms of life, in order to sort of make it? How many people would raise their hands to that question? Not, not that many. Uh, but if you go and you go into any audience, boy, you, you get it. I mean, one of the things I love to do is to say, how many of you think that your children will have it better than you? For 13 generations, we've always passed the torch forward. This is the first generation where we think we're actually going to pass the torch backwards. And so it's all of that that I feel more at this stage than I felt. 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yes, sir. Um, I have a question on how you phrase um, questions and whether uh, there's an issue with like kind of pegging um, the answer, pre predetermining the answer. So for example, on income inequality, it not showing up um, in the Republican answers, I mean, the distribution of Republicans can't all be wealthy, right? So there are right. people who probably would like to be closer to, you know, the top 25% or 10%. Um, but maybe Republicans feel like income inequality as a buzzword is something that they should be negatively averse to. So how, how do you tease that out? And is there... Is point, in other words, they would say, when you say income inequality, what you're really saying is tax the rich. Which, right, is, which, which is not... I mean, right. I agree. Right. But I mean, that the Republicans would... would would not view that as the solution to income inequality. It's right. an interesting question. Uh, and the point, there are two points here. I mean, that uh, what you, uh, what you uh, raise is exactly right. I mean, the question and question wording is so unbelievably important in what we do. And you can watch just a single word, a single phrase can change everything. And uh, we work very hard on it. And the way I like to explain it, it's a lot like, um, it's a lot like a mobile. And that is, you might not be able to make a mobile, but you could walk into any, uh, any art museum and you say, it's just as imbalanced. It doesn't doesn't work or whatever. And the same thing. We work very hard on this, and it all it doesn't always work. Um, you know what we had is in this exact phrase was reducing uh, income inequality between the rich and poor. So that's how it was phrased. I don't know if there was a more neutral phrasing or a better way. But in most cases, uh, what we're trying to do is to take something as neutral as possible. And when we present two sides of an issue, statement A, statement B, we, we try and make sure not only that it's of equal uh, balance, but also equal length. 
so that we do all of that. It's well, an in, in, uh, inexact science. And well, let, me, let me follow up on your point. I mean, that there are poor Republicans and middle-class Republicans and so forth. Is the demographic, Democrat-Republican, the thing that makes the difference on that particular question? I mean, is that, sure. is that the Republicans that you per surveyed, are they wealthier? Uh, well, not necessarily. Uh, I think they have more uh, upper income. But, you know, what it's about is we are a very partisan nation. And even when you go to issues, you'll see just huge stratifications by Democrats and Republicans on what they care about and what's important and where they are. I mean, that essentially, uh, if you go through... Uh, our tab books, as we call them, and look at Republicans versus Democrats, you'll see sort of black and white. And this, this is one of the sort of the ongoing problems for the Democratic Party to try to wrestle with because they say, well, wait a minute, this is not in your economic interest, and yet you're supporting these people who are not, and that's frustrating for the Democrats, but it's actually the reality of the way the world works. Well, that people and don't make just these economic judgments. The thing I, my favorite state is West Virginia. West Virginia voted for Michael Dukakis, okay, and essentially uh, has been voting Republican and is, uh, is now a solidly red state. The only state that did not go through any demographic change. It's not like there's an influx in population or some major change. They simply have gone from becoming economic voters as such to uh, values or social voters much more. So, you know, that's a great example. I just want to piggyback on mm -hmm. this question. Uh, first of all, on your list of prioritizing the issues, did any did the Republicans, did income inequality even come in in the below 50 percent? Yeah, oh, sure. Where did it come on the list of 10? Was it below 25 percent? No, I think it's probably in the 30s. Okay. But you know, a good 30 points below where the Democrats are. And given that it didn't show up, um, how do you explain that, like, the fact that Romney, before he got out of the race, and Jeb Bush, uh, and Rand Paul in his way, are, have been raising this issue as a prime part of their, you know, rationale for running for office? Because I think that's where the country's at. I think they, uh, they recognize it as much as anything else. That, uh, and it is, it comes back to Jenny. How do you get those people to say, here's somebody that understands my plight? And I think it's, it's sort of different. I mean, the way I, I tried to put it in, in my uh, thing is that it's no longer what I call <coughs> the argument between supply side and fairness, but uh, now it really has to do with insecurity uh, and from terrorism to financial instability. And uh, you can't, how do you go back to the past? And it's how do you make people feel more assured that their life ahead is going to be positive and it's going to work out? And I think that's where people are coming from. And finally, getting to his point about the semantics and the wording, I, having written about this some, I find that people, it's uh, income inequality is less resonant for a lot than inequality of opportunity. Yep. To make income, do you is there a way to get at that? And have you tried in the polling? Yeah. I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, I mean, I think that we've done some, but I don't think that we've really explored that as uh, as much, at least in the public polls that right. we've College done. College tuition costs, yeah. of course, come into that. Yep. Questions? Yes. 
So I'm wondering, as a pollster, how do you think about uh, identity, right? I mean, so part of what people vote on are the issues. Part of it is pocketbook. But another part of what people vote on is, I like the guy or, or gal. I think they'll do a good job. I want to get a beer with them. There's, there, there is those intangibles that are important to some part of the electorate. And there are, I mean, the swing vote is what everyone is after, right? And there's some people who do who do choose on some of the, these issues. I'm just wondering, as a as you kind of come to it as a pollster, how do you ask those kinds of questions other than do you want to get a beer with this guy? Well, I spend an awful lot of time thinking about it because from my point of view, uh, I think that we make senatorial choices or congressional choices much more from the head. Uh, and I think that, uh, that uh, uh, gubernatorial, mayor, uh, and presidential are much more gut choices. So uh, I'm constantly sort of looking at these these things, and I I I ask I I'll go all the way back to 2000 uh, for the students. That's ancient history. I recognize, uh, but I ask the question. Let us suppose this focus group that. For the next month or two months, your job had been moved, and it's going to be uh, a two-hour commute. And in order to get into the HOV lane, you either have to have uh, George W. Bush or Al Gore <laughs> as your uh, as your uh, riding partner. And I said, "Who do you want?" And overwhelmingly, everybody said, I want Bush. Bush will be interesting. We'll talk baseball. We'll, you know, you, you kick back, everything else. How about Al Gore? Oh, my God, I'd fall asleep at the wheel within <laughs> 10 minutes. Okay. So, I mean, I constantly go at, if, if you had to go for a weekend, who would you, and so on and so forth, to understand likability and where. And then I also ask in this, oh, by the way, you're on, uh, what's the, uh, one, a, a millionaire, uh, I can't remember you what You get the, to ask for help. And you get, uh, uh, I <laughs> asked him, yeah, you get your lifeline. Who would you want, Al Gore or George W. Bush? <laughs> well, that's an easy answer. I want, I want Al Gore. But in the end of the day, they want the person that they can relate to, who they think is going to going to be their their person. I mean, it's it's what Bill Clinton. It was that that extra dimension that he always that he always brings. And uh, the fascinating thing is that uh, that Barack Obama started with this, but as his presidency's evolved, he's become uh, a much more remote figure. It's not people disliking them, but they just don't relate to them. So other than favorability, if I can just follow up for a second. Yeah. Other than favorability, what questions do you specifically ask to gauge the Pittsburgh airport test, the get a beer test? How do you kind of uh, ask that kind of question of likability? I, I've got a hundred of them. Okay. Okay. Right. I mean, uh, it's what I love to do is to figure out what is the way to find out what's down there and what they're thinking about? And I go afterwards, and I'll give you a whole bunch of these. Yes. 
you. Hi. Um, do you have any correlations between the sentiments and the media by which the uh, people are getting their information? Um, and I don't mean just, is it Fox or some, I mean, well, that would be interesting, um, but also TV versus internet versus radio, newspaper, et cetera. Yeah, well, certainly uh, one of the things we do is we ask people uh, where do they get their uh, principal news, and I can tell you the Internet has been growing in importance. Uh, newsprint has been diminishing. Uh, but uh, if you look, I mean, the difference between a Fox viewer and a, uh, a I don't know, MSNBC viewer, it's day and night. They choose their there, it's like choosing the colors of a football team, you know, that uh, people look at it that way. And uh, certainly um, the sense when you look at younger voters, they just have a much wider sphere of getting, inf uh, of getting information uh, at this stage of the game and uh, tend to look at things differently and have different sources of information. Outside of the particular, if you don't mind, outside of the particular um, Fox versus MSNBC, are there uh, correlations? People who get it just from TV, get their news primarily from TV versus newspapers versus the net? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I haven't studied this recently, but uh, but the thing that always was true is that uh, when it was television, it tended to be. Uh, it tended to be uh, not necessarily Republican or Democratic, but tended to be uh, much more surface knowledge versus the newspapers, where when you ask an in-depth issue question, uh, more knowledge, more un understanding, more insights. But I haven't looked at it, and but Matthew knows yes. a lot of that. Touching upon, hi, Professor Hart. I took your class at Penn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, touching upon the hatred. Did you get a good grade? I Thank God. That's <laughs> <laughs> the best class I took, and it's changed my life. Oh, um, sweet. Thank you. I, touching upon this hatred and frustration, how is that going to reflect in the upcoming election? How easy or challenging will it be to mobilize people to actually vote, especially given how captivating Obama was and the fact that he was especially able to motivate and mobilize the millennials? Yeah. Um, I mean, my tendency is to believe that uh, voting participation will be up in 2016, uh, but uh, you won't uh, obviously have the same degree of interest in the African from the African American community unless there's an African American uh, somehow on the ticket. Uh, and but I, I think in general, uh, it, it the most interesting group is going to be the under 30 group. They voted overwhelmingly in, in overwhelming numbers, I should say, in 8 and 12. And 12 surprised us uh, that in 2012, I think they were 19% of the electorate and people over 65 were 16%. And we'd never seen that kind of depth uh, of difference. And so it will be interesting to see if that group continues to turn out. If they do, obviously, that says something about participation uh, going forward. I think that, uh, that part of it is going to be a question of whether you have uh, two people that they perceive as being very much the same, uh, or is there what they consider to be uh, a more red and blue difference. And that'll 
make a difference is, is there. the vote above 65 declining or is just the uh, no it's no. I mean and certainly in the off year uh, it was I think 21 percent of the vote versus 13 percent for those people who were so it turned from a plus three uh, for young people in the presidential to a minus eight, which is the more traditional. Uh, but but uh, a element. smaller overall vote. With a smaller overall vote. Why? Because elderly, older people vote, simply put. Mm. Well, it's also the boom of bulge is now hitting the 65. Exactly. Wall and yeah. So that's yeah, yeah, and that'll be there forever. Yeah. Uh, I've uh, long been puzzled by the fact that the American people vote against their interests, i.e. they vote for the Republican Party. <laughs> then I come to the perception that the Republican Party is the authentic, legitimate party in America. I recall the words of Hugh Scott, the Pennsylvania congressman, we are the best people, we Republicans are the best people in America. On the other hand, as presently constituted, the Democratic Party is a conjurie of pressure groups and minorities, and it doesn't exactly fill the same role would you comment on that? It's a great question. Uh, I mean, uh, first of all, uh, your perceptions in terms of Democrats versus Republicans, I agree with totally, and it's very insightful uh, that the Democrats are the right party and uh, <laughs> deserve all the credit and love that they uh, that they don't always get. Uh, but uh, it, to it, to put it simply, uh, I mean, think as much as anything. Uh, the Democrats have always figured that if we were talking to your economic interests, we were talking, uh, we were talking to where people were at. That they always voted their pocketbook, and clearly, if you look at the course of how the Republicans have done and where they've done well over the course of the last 10, 20 years, uh, it isn't economics alone. Uh, and I think part of the problem that. I think is less of a difficulty, but still a difficulty, is that the Democrats have always been what I would call a pressure interest party. And the points that you were making, whether it uh, be on race or on values or whatever it is, uh, those elements uh, those elements haven't held or have held in terms of the special interest groups that the Democrats talk to, whether it be labor uh, or minorities or uh, <coughs> the women's vote, et cetera. And at the expense of that has been uh, a simple uh, national message. Against that, the Republicans are caught in a crosshairs right now because they're talking to, indeed, uh, their uh, the uh, their members on the right, their members in the Tea Party, and I think that that's cost them in terms of uh, what I would call uh, the purple states or, or the major states that are in play. That's where I take it. Yes, sir. With um, the magnitude of the dissatisfaction uh, with Washington, is it would it be political suicide to get behind a uh, constitutional convention, does that seem as too radical, even though that's what our founding fathers envisioned when there was that level of dissatisfaction? Uh, I, I think it would be a pretty big step. Uh, I, I, the thing I really wanted uh, in 2014, I, I have to tell you that both 
Bill McIntyre from myself, the Republican uh, partner in the NBC, we honestly believe that in 2012 uh, there was a potentiality for a third-party candidate to get double-digit vote. Uh, that's where we saw things uh, were at. And then I honestly believed in 2014 if you could get somebody running equivalent of no labels or the broom party, as I called it, or broom coalition, just vote, vote them out. Uh, I always believed that the potentiality was there. I still think uh, when I look at everything that's being said, the public is just so unhappy with Washington. They just think that the Congress doesn't get it, doesn't represent them. Uh, but yet, as we know, 90% of them come back in because we have a system that doesn't uh, uh, that's gerrymandered, and once you've won the primary, you've won the general election. You also have the problem that the way people say is not necessarily the pain people that vote. And they may, public opinion may be one way, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. I mean, look at all the issues where American public opinion is on one side, but the, the constituencies in Congress, for instance, are, are very much other. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, in terms of the three bars of what's important to the Republicans, the independents, the Democrats, how that lines up with Obama's agenda in the State of the Union. Is there anything? I couldn't remember the graph well enough, but are there those issues with the independents that could get them over? Or? Well, it, it, what's so interesting, of course, we did it for the State of the Union, is the things that the president can get through, such as trade. Uh, that's at the absolute bottom of the list. And so there's obviously very little correlation between uh, what the agenda is going to be and what the American public say uh, are the most important things. And it's not surprising. It often happens. But uh, simply put, uh, you know, the things that are the important things to get done, you just can't get consensus on. And My thought is not yeah. so much what they get done, but what he seems to be pushing for. If they don't get done, will that give him, will get, that give his success, Democratic successor a, a heads up or a push well, or not? It will give the Democrats an advantage if the Republicans continue to do silly things and continue to uh, either uh, force votes on, uh, on things uh, related to immigration, related to uh, health care, related to all of the things. I mean, they could, they could make themselves the target. Uh, for 20, uh, 2016. So it's not impossible that they will create the problems that instead of being the responsible party, uh, the irresponsible party. I mean, obviously, uh, Mitch McConnell's trying to steer them in the other direction. I don't know that it will happen, but uh, that's where they're headed. Tom? Did you have a question? I did. Um, so I, I liked your sixth year. <coughs> prediction model. Um, now, three of those elections, 60, 68, and 2000, could have gone either way. I mean, they, they were very all, close. All three of those were dead heats, right? Um, you know, the, another variable here is the economy, right, and the trajectory of the economy, which tends to be pretty predictive of, of the general election. Um, do you think we're in a different, do you think that model is, might be broken a little bit? I mean, I, I, I do think this is an unusual recovery, right? And so I, 
whether people will see it differently, think differently about it. I mean, uh, if the trajectory continues, that's really quite good news. And then you'd say the balance actually is tipping toward the Democrats, not the Republicans. Six-year model gives you Republicans. Economic model gives you Democrats. Yeah. I, I, the reason I started with, uh, with the table that I did was to show the consumer in, in index. And I'm totally a believer that obviously that is going to soar. Uh, but I, I tell you what I worry about, and that is uh, what I call democratic fatigue. And I think within this, I think the president has figured out his legacy. I mean, I think one of the things that's so fascinating to me is that he has been sort of this uh, weak figure over the last four years, and I actually think the public is now seeing a more positive persona from him for the first time. It's a, it's a much clearer agenda of who he is and how he wants to be perceived. I think all of those things work in his favor. Given that, uh, I think he's his persona and what he's decided is he's going to be known as a liberal left president. And I think that everything that he is going to push and do, whether it be the most <coughs> recent thing on net neutrality or appointments or any of the stances. So I think against that, he's going to be pushing in that direction. So does that then make the country move more centrist or worry about <coughs> a Democrat as extending that? And I think that is the counterbalance to we feel better about the economy. I think the economy is always central. Uh, the one thing that we haven't said and even talked about here is uh, Hillary's campaign <coughs> will be bigger than life. And everybody's going to have an opinion on that. So it's, it's not like Al Gore and it's not like uh, it's not like uh, other candidates, uh, she will, uh, right from the beginning, she's a totally <coughs> polarizing individual. And in 19, in 2008, when she finished her, her run for the presidency, 43% of the American public had a positive point of view and 41% uh, and had a negative point of view about her personally. When she was in the middle of her Secretary of State, she was 59.25 positive. So all, and you look now, she's right back at sort of 43.41, maybe 43.38 at this stage of the game. So that's going to be there. How, how do you parse the politics of the invitation to Benjamin Netanyahu to speak to Congress? I mean, what, what, what are we to make of that? Not anything good. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, I, I just happen to agree with those who, are, who commentate uh, and say uh, a, a, an ill-chosen uh, decision. It may play very well to one very small segment within the Congress or within the Republican faction, but to be perfectly honest, um, it's so far away from Arthur Vandenberg. Uh, that it's uh, scary. I mean, why? Is this group determined to scuttle the agreement with Iran? Is that their agenda? I have no idea. Uh, but all I know is that you don't do something like this, and especially 
uh, you know, right before an Israeli election. I mean, on so many fronts. It's Michelle. Yes. I, I was wondering if you're able to, when you're looking at the 2016 field, figure out if Hillary Clinton is judged as her own woman or Jeb Bush is judged as his own man, or are they defined by his brother and her husband? And your HOV question, yeah. you know, would she get in the car with President Clinton, you know, as well, or would Jeb Bush pass the phone to yeah. George on the phone of friend? Uh, I think Hillary is definitely her own person. Okay, I just, I think everybody has a, just a sharp, sharp definition and a sharp feeling about her. She is, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is uh, you could say that four years, eight years ago, her husband could be both a asset and a liability. At this stage of the game, I think he's a 100% asset. I mean, uh, that... Uh, that he's established his own legacy, his own persona, and yes, people will talk about uh, his infidelity and they will talk about that, but I think he's established himself. Jeb is not defined enough, but what they know about him is more questionable. They just, they need a lot, uh, a lot needs to be filled in. I think the one thing that's working for him is he has a conception, uh, has conceptualized 2016, and I think the way in which he's conceptualized it is a pretty smart way to talk to the American public. And how would you frame that? It, basically positive, basically a sense that, uh, a sense, and what the country wants to do is figure out how to come together. And so it's not framing it in the old terms. I think it is reframing it in terms of who we want to be and where we want to be as a country. I think it's much more a sense of consensus versus confrontation. Yes. <coughs> Deficit seems to be one of the three. Did you do anything like reality testing? As we all know, the deficit has gone up. But the reality is, it seems to be the deficit has actually decreased by up to half under Obama. Did you test people on that level of knowledge, saying, what do you think about the deficit, and now here are the, the real, real numbers? Yeah, we've done so much testing. I've done work for uh, Pete Peterson <coughs> and, uh, and that group uh, on budget and everything else. Public is just lousy when you deal with all of those questions. And uh, so, to be perfectly honest, whether it's currently or previously, whenever you get into the budget, public has such little knowledge and uh, understanding of this. So they'll give you attitudes, but uh, when it comes to the factual understanding, it's like talking about Yemen. You know, <laughs> have no idea. You haven't done that, that test with here. What do you think about the deficit? And now here are the real numbers. Yeah, we have. We've done done this in the past, and uh, and uh, people people don't give you consistent answers, and they will give you marvelous sense of where they want things to be. But in reality, you take them there, and then they don't really want that. I mean, it's just a hard subject to do. As you survey the Democratic field, if it's not Hillary, who do you think it might be? Uh, anybody's guess. Uh, that, uh, as people have written, the problem for the Democrats is uh, they've got a bench that's one deep. 
uh, and uh, and that's the and that's the challenge. Is Jerry Brown a possible candidate? Uh, uh, in his own mind, <laughs> uh, uh, no. And Jerry Brown is a fascinating figure and a great figure, but uh, I don't see him as a presidential candidate. Elizabeth Warren says she doesn't want to run, but would she be? Well, in this uh, focus group session, it was fascinating. Uh, to me, uh, Elizabeth, two things to say, and this close it off, and thank you for having me. Uh, but uh, the first thing, uh, Elizabeth Warren is perfect on one issue for an awful lot of Americans. But is she perfect in foreign policy? Is she perfect as commander-in-chief? Is she perfect in... So there are a whole series of things that when the public comes back around, uh, does she measure up? Uh, and I, that I don't know. But the other side of things is um, I think she has the potentiality of being the Robert Kennedy for 2016. In other words electric and different enough that you don't know where it would go. Now, do I think she'll get in? No. But, uh, but she is clearly hit a vein in much the same way as Robert Kennedy with a, obviously a whole different aura and persona hit in 1968. Peter Hart, thank you so much. Hey, thank you.